Jesus uh, once told a scary story, and we just heard it. It has two endings, one really nice ending, a happy ending, and then the other is a nightmare. In the Bible that we just heard read, it's called the parable of the bags of gold. How many of you are familiar with that parable? How many of you know it as the parable of the talents? How many of you know it as Jesus' parable of the unprofitable servant? No one here knows it as that because no one here is over 100 years old, but that's what it would have been called by our grandparents or some of your great-great-grandparents. It is a story that's scary because it's about the pressure that Jesus puts on us on how to live between now and the time he returns. It's a story about the pressure he puts on us to be good stewards of everything that he's given us as Christians. The Bible is not that easy to understand, but this parable is. It's not hard, but that doesn't make it easier. Mark Twain said this, it ain't those parts of the Bible that I can't understand that bother me, it's the parts that I do understand. Well, uh, this, I must be frank with you, it is a part of the Bible that very much troubles me. But Jesus is very good to tell us this story. In fact, it's very important that he told it to us, and we know that just not, not even because who spoke it, not only because of the content of it, but because of the timing. Those of you who have been around someone uh, dying, you don't really mess around with the words you have. It's not a time to talk about the weather or watch a soap opera or just to chit-chat about nothing. It is a time that you talk about things that matter most. That's the way it was with my father on his deathbed, and it's probably going to be the way it is for you, if God is good to you, to give you time. That when you've got your children, your family around, and you've just got a few breaths left, you're going to use them to the maximal benefit, I'm sure. My dad told me some things that he had never told me, and I'm so glad he did. And he recounted over his life one major mistake that if he had to do his life over again, he would fix it. It wasn't anything immoral, but the bottom line of it was that he was afraid, looking back, that he did not use the talents that God gave him. Looking back, over 83 years, I think it was, he thought he wasn't bold enough, that he didn't step out and use really what he was supposed to. I happen to disagree with him, but that was his analysis. This is Jesus, almost Jesus' deathbed story. It happens just after Palm Sunday, or right around that time. He's got a week left to live, so he is basically giving his last will and testament in this parable. He's not wasting his words. I think it came right after Palm Sunday. And so the story begins with a man going on a long journey, and you can hear the echoes of Jesus' life in there. He's about 
to go on a long journey, right? He's about to take a journey up to Calvary. And then from Calvary, he's about to take a journey to the grave. And then from the grave, he's going to take a journey that day to paradise. And then he's going to take a journey back into his resurrection body. And then he's going to take a journey around the earth for a little while. And then he's going to take a very long journey. And he's going to check out of human space and time and move through that curtain into God's space as the Hebrews call it. He is the master in the story about to go on a long journey. And he has been away, hasn't he, for a long time. A 2,000 year journey so far. And he's coming back. And he says that when he comes back, he's not going to come back as a humble carpenter, but he's going to come back in power and glory. And it is going to be an amazing day. And he is on that day going to gather his elect from the four winds, the Bible tells us. And then what happens? Well, when he gathers the elect from the four winds, that is the end of human history. There'll be no more wiki pages written. There's going to be no more history made, period. There's going to be no more failure or success or struggle or victory. It's over. And on that day, on that day, when he returns, Jesus says that every one of his people will experience one of two things, either glory or judgment. I should probably clarify, rather than his people, those who go by his name. So the story, though, is not so much about judgment day or glory day. It is about what to do up until that time. It's about what to do, how to behave, how to live in the meantime. And so this is what he says we're to do, all of his family, all of his children. Matthew 24, 42, we're to keep watch. We're going to stay on the lookout. And so how do you stay on the lookout? How do you keep watch? How do you be ready according to Jesus' standard? Well, this story is about it, and he tells four stories. Just, it just shows you how much this mattered to him about how the master's taking off for a long time and what he wants us to do. And so he tells a story starting in chapter 24 about a faithful and wise servant and others. And then he tells the story, one that really uh, was very influential in changing my wife's life, the parable of the ten virgins. And then there's this story he tells about the talents or the bags of gold. Uh, which I don't think were gold. And then he tells the last parable of the sheep and goats. And all of these have the main, one main point, that the master is going on a long journey. He's going to be, in other words, away for a long time. He's going to be away so long that you might forget what you're supposed to do while he's away. He's gone away so long that you might forget that he's coming back. The reminders that what's going to happen when he comes back, and they are all reminders of what to do in the meantime. Well, when he comes back, there's no curve. Apparently, you can't get a C or a B or even a D. He's going to give two grades to every person that goes by his name. You're either going to get an A, you're going to get approbation, or you're going to get an F. Apparently, you can't get present. Live this life, been there, done that. Apparently, that's not on the schedule. So two possibilities. A, there's faithfulness, 
or B, and, and glory. Or the second option is, I guess you could say faithlessness, but indolence maybe, negligence. And for that you will get judgment and condemnation. So four stories, four different angles. He sends us like to four different websites so we get the picture. So who are these stories about? That's, this is the part of the story that I don't like. I wish they were stories about all the people on earth. Every human that was ever born, this is the deal. You're either going to use your talents or you're not going to use your talents. You don't even know it, but the talents come from me, the maker of heaven and earth, and all that's seen and not seen. But it's not. This is a private talk. Jesus yanked his disciples aside, or they yanked him aside, however you look at it, and he gave them a private talk. It's on the Mount of Olives, and it says, the disciples came to him privately. Jesus has just been talking to the crowds about all kinds of general things about the kingdom, but this is, is a lesson specific for the church. Okay? And so it's, it's how to deal with the pressure of living when Jesus, or the Master, is gone for a long time. It's a lesson, uh, what to do to prove who you're made of, or maybe better said, is, is who to whom you belong. Well, anyway, he's talking to the church. And this is the disturbing part. He's implying, if not outright saying, that the church is a mixed bag. That this place, this unit, this society, this name is a mixed bag. It is full of faithful people that Jesus has uh, who use their gifts. It's also full of people who squander his gifts. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, those we can just translate Christians now, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of my Father who is in heaven. So this parable is about what to do with your talents. And so as much as I'd like to, at least one-third of this parable, we can't bury that and not pay any attention to it. So what are these talents? Well, they are, uh, it's talent. Unfortunately, we heard about bags of gold, but if we go back uh, one translation history, uh, they, are, they are monetary units. The word talent itself we use comes from the Greek. So anyway, uh, talent is a word that we use to describe usually something that you're born with. You're born with a talent to sing, or to play, or to speak, or to whatever, to paint. But that, that's not what this kind of talent is. The talents that Jesus is talking about are nothing that you're born with. There are things that you get, we could say, after you're reborn, after you become a Christian. And so they're, they're after you have demonstrated something, some, some deed, or some proclivity or some faithfulness. So listen, here, here's how we know. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one. Each, here it is, according to his own ability. So you already have this ability. And then the Lord gives you the talents to exercise in your ability, whatever that is. So in Jesus' day, a talent literally was the largest monetary unit 
that you could possess. It was like the biggest bill that you could ever get your hands on. It's actually a weight, maybe 60, 70 to 80 pounds. And it was usually, and maybe I'm wrong, but it was usually silver. So, And it was uh, no small amount of silver, no small amount of coinage. So a talent then would be an amount of money. It would be 6,000 denarii. And a denarii is what you would make in one day's work. So if you do the average for this area, the kind of money we're talking about from just one of the talents, not five of the talents, just one, would be about 16.4 years of seven days a week, 365 days a year wages. So we're talking about, to the smallest amount he gave, he gave about we'll just say, almost a million and a half dollars. That's a lot of money. And so it's like he held, a, this master held a meeting of his staff. And so he's got uh, his president, vice president, and CFO or something. And he invites them all into a room and he says, look, uh, ladies, I'm going to be gone for uh, a long time. And so I would like to put you in charge of some of my things. And so, to one, he gives $1.4 million. Uh, to another one, maybe to your friend uh, or co-worker, he gives $2.8 million. And then to the third co-worker, he gives $7 million and said, hey, just, just take care of it, just like to see you deal with it, handle it like it's your own money, and I'll see you when I get back. So he owned the money. It was his stuff. He just gave it to the people to be in charge of while he's gone. Well, what was it that he, if we want to just stick with the imagery, what was it that Jesus would give, literally, while he's gone so long? Well, he tells us, he tells us, he says to them, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. This amazing gift that apparently he proportions in some measure is the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit lists the gifts. I mean, the New Testament lists the gifts of the Holy Spirit. There's like six places where it lists the gifts, and there's some 20 gifts throughout the New Testament. And some are really extraordinary, like prophecy and things. Others seem rather mundane, like the gift of administration, things like that, uh, helps, or contributing to the needs of others, or uh, leadership, the gift of Mercy. Paul talks about other gifts like the gift of marriage. And elsewhere he talks about the gift of being single. But the point of all of these gifts, all of these gifts, all of these talents, all of these Holy Spirit gifts, are that they are given to the person for the benefit of the church. They're given to the church, in other words. And every single one of these things is given by the Lord for you, for me, for us to be useful in service. And God expects us to use them. So a talent can be literal. I mean, it can be money. You, you can have a lot of money and be charge, in charge of, of, of distributing it or uh, being cared, care for the church's money. Or it can be education. That can be your gift. You've got this amazing gift of education. You just open the Bible or something and, and you just get it. Or it can be anything that the Lord has to offer, like showing mercy. But the thing is that these gifts 
are not things that God gives to his people to advance their own lives. They're given to advance the church. So, in other words, they're not... It's like I give the gift of being a movie star, a rock star, a billionaire, whatever, that we see all of these gifts all around us, that these people apparently have those gifts. These are not the things that God is talking about. These are the things that he gives the church to be exercised in the church for us to use for his name to be built up. They're Holy Spirit abilities. And they're things that they might be fun to use. They might not be so thrilling. Jesus doesn't say. But every one of them has to do with being faithful because the way you use them You're waiting to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. It's funny, really. It's probably very humorous. It's like me saying, I'm just going to give you five million bucks to be in charge of for a really long time. And then you double the money. And then the master comes back and says, I'm just so proud of you. You were really good with a small thing. It's like a small thing. Five million bucks was no small thing. But to God, it... Even one talent is a huge thing. So, so never poo-poo talents. Any talent whatsoever that the Lord gives you. Well, one guy, and here's the scary part of the story. Two-thirds of the people in the church heard good job. But one-third, fully one-third in this story heard the scary part. They heard... Uh, something completely different. And Jesus tells us this, and here's what the man says. He says, I, I, I thought you're harsh, and you're a cruel man. Does the Bible ever say that God is harsh or cruel? Never. He's anything but that. Some of our favorite words in the Bible and the Old Testament are the word hased, right? It's like gracious or compassionate or long-suffering, depends. But the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, rich in love. He doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. We hear that everywhere. Or in Ezra. Ezra, I mean, they're, they're getting the tar beat out of them, it seems like. And they say, God punishes us less than our sins deserve. God is not hard. He's not hard on his children he does not harvest where he has not sown. Well, this, this man has forgotten that he was given an amazing gift, a million, 1.4, whatever, to take care of. If you think God is cruel, then you're like this man. And apparently that's not a good place to be. God doesn't reward that. If you think, on the other hand, that God is gracious and that he's given you what he's given you to steward, then you're, uh, you're in the good pile. My, all my brother's kids uh, have a, a dimple on their chin. And one of them asked them, like, why do we have that dimple on our chin? And I think it comes from some children's story. But he says, oh, that's what God stuck his thumb on there, so you're in the good pile. But two-thirds are in the good pile. The one that saw God is good, he gave me this stuff. And the thing about it is, when you see it this way, Every single gift is good. But the point of this story has nothing to do with that. It's all about what God has given you. You're supposed to use it. Whatever your gift. Use it or 
else you will be lost. I hate that. It says that they will be thrown, people that go by God's name, who may be the ones who say, Lord, Lord, they're the ones he's going to say, nah, in this parable, I gave you stuff to use for me, and you didn't use it. Out into outer darkness, where there's gnashing of teeth and wailing. In other words, I'm sending you to a place with incredibly deep regret. I hope my dad on his deathbed, I hope that was the last experience of regret that he ever had. But I don't know if any of you have ever been that close to death. Some of you have even this year. It's like you've got to face the possibility that you might check out and you examine your life. And that, that by God's grace, that, that's supposed to motivate us. And the irony of all of this, to me, is that if you use the gift, and we'll just say you have one, whatever it is, and, and you're faithful with it, God doesn't say, great, you can retire now. You're done. You were faithful. He says, good, you were faithful with this, the little stuff, and so I'm going to give you more. And so the idea is, is the kingdom of God is different than the workplace in D.C. It's different. You, apparently, you, you don't retire. You use your gifts, and then you get more. And I don't know if it's in this life, or I think it implies that there's, you're going to have more to do in the next life. I think there's a very much of a connection between this and the next. And ultimately, then, the reward, either way, the main reward is going to be this. Come share in your master's happiness. Hudson Taylor said this. We did not come to China because missionary work here was either safe or easy, but because he called us. We did not enter upon our present positions under a guarantee of human protection, but relying on the promise of his presence. The accidents or ease or difficulty of apparent safety or danger of man's approval or disapproval in no wise affect our duty. Should circumstances arrive in, in arise involving us in what may seem to be a special danger, we shall have grace. I trust to manifest the depth and reality of our confidence in him and by faithfulness to our charge to prove that we are followers of the good shepherd who did not flee from death itself. The point of this parable and all of those four it's just to encourage us. Don't squander. And sometimes, even as Richard prayed before I spoke, sometimes what's needed is, is boldness. How many times have you been bold for the Lord and later you've regretted it? Can you think of any? When you've said something that needed to be said and you say it in love, do you regret that? Or are you more likely to regret the times when you said nothing? and sat there and heard someone run down who was a godly person, and, and you just sat there and said nothing. I, I think those are the times that I regret. But the Master's long journey is coming fast to an end for each of us, and each of us will have to give an account of just what we did with what we were given. And I think the same thing is going to apply for Celebration Church. What did you do with what you were given? You weren't given a lot. Fine. It's not about that. It's just about faithfulness along the way. 
That's it. Well done, my good and faithful servant. And he will say, well done, my good and faithful church. And I think that's something to celebrate. Amen.